Good day, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm delighted to have here today with us on retina synthesis, Dr. John Pollack of Neurotech Pharmaceuticals, where he is the chief medical officer. John, welcome to retina synthesis. Carmen, thanks very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So um, you joined uh, Neurotech Pharmaceuticals about less than a year ago, and uh, but you still have a very active career as a retinal clinician and leader in the field. You were president of the American Society of Retina Specialists. How does, what, what attracted you to the CMO position? Yeah, well, you know, if I look back over my career, I think that there are probably several experiences and personal interactions that influenced my path here. You know, certainly my interest in research, which has spanned benchtop, animal, and clinical research, <clears throat> excuse me, has been a major part of my career. And it's what's created a really nice balance for me uh, with my medical and surgical practice. And I think that a passion for research is important in this role. Uh, but I've also long wanted to know much more about the drug and uh, device development process in far greater detail than we're usually afforded as clinical investigators or even as strategy level clinical consultants, because that level of granularity, as you know, is generally not accessible until you become a company employee. For example, I've long been interested in gaining uh, much greater exposure to industry clinical operations and research and development which are a natural fit for physicians with an interest in research and innovation. But in addition, I've also had a strong interest in learning about the other medical product development areas that are so critical to success, such as regulatory and manufacturing and even quality and supply chain. You know, I think another contributing factor for me may be related to what I would describe as a strong entrepreneurial curiosity. Uh, since 2004, I've co-founded uh, three physician-focused companies to address unmet needs, two of which, Covalent uh, Medical and Vestrum Health, are still ongoing entities. And I think that these experiences also have provided me with valuable on-the-job training in the corporate world, albeit on a relatively small scale. And uh, finally, a few industry friends for whom I have a great deal of respect have been encouraging me to consider dipping a toe into this sort of a role for a while. And that was certainly impactful when this opportunity presented itself. So it was really a combination of all of those experiences that led to my decision to accept the role. And it's been incredibly gratifying and fulfilling to interact with Neurotech's team of very seasoned professionals. And I've learned a tremendous amount from them. So I can say that it's really been a uniformly terrific experience for me. This is a balancing act, of course. Uh, so how much time uh, and effort do you spend on the CMO role? Uh, well, a lot, but, you know, I did a lot outside of my practice before. So I still practice five days a week. I'm in clinic, I'm in surgery, but, you know, prior to assuming this role, I did a, a fair amount of consulting. I consulted for 10 different companies. I was very involved with the ASRS um, and I was very involved with these other companies as well. So what I did was I took all of that time that I was spending on all of these other uh, interests and kind of shifted it. So I dropped all of my other consulting. Um, I had already rotated, you know, off of my responsibilities with ASRS. So I was off the executive committee and eventually off of the board. So that freed up a tremendous amount of time. And my responsibilities with the other companies uh, was greatly diminished. So, you know, as you know very well, there's a lot, you know, 
you do a lot in the office, but when you have all these other interests, whether it be research or writing, you know, writing papers associated with that or consulting, all of that's done on your off time. So the real balancing act is balancing with family. And fortunately, over the last 25 years, I've figured out a way that seems to work pretty well with my family. And so what I did was really just shift responsibilities from other areas to just uh, being CMO. So Neurotech uh, has been around for more than a decade, and it has a unique technology platform, the encapsulated cell technology, which is now, I think, a fairly well-proven delivery system. Uh, can you discuss ECT for us? Yeah, it's it's one of the things that really attracted me, you know, to this company. You know, one was, you know, what what they're looking at. And and the other is this platform, which I think is really incredible. So their lead program is this NT501 implant, which produces ciliary neurotrophic factor or CNTF. Um, it's being studied in a pair of uh, fully enrolled phase three studies, looking at it as a treatment for macular telangiectasia type two, commonly referred to as MACTEL. And this implant is based on their ECT technology, as you said, the encapsulated cell technology, which is a really interesting, very versatile, customizable platform that consists of human RPE cells that are genetically modified to secrete any of a variety of therapeutic proteins. So this includes growth factors, antibodies, fusion proteins, small peptides, and the RPE cells are encapsulated within a semi-permeable polymer membrane, and the device is then implanted into the vitreous cavity and sutured to the eye wall. In the case of NT501, the RPE cells are modified to produce CNTF. The implant's uh, six millimeters in length, about a millimeter in diameter, and once it's implanted into the eye, that semi-permeable polymer capsule allows the outward diffusion of the therapeutic proteins in a very controlled and sustained manner, and the inward diffusion of oxygen and nutrients. In addition, it's immune protective because the encapsulating membrane prevents passage of immune cells. So it's a really clever device that can produce a variety of proteins directly into the vitreous cavity in a sustainable manner over many years. So it's attractive for people that need this sustained delivery over the long term. And it has a good track record because it's been looked at and uh, in AMD, dry AMD, and in retinitis pigmentosa. So these implants have gone into a number of eyes prior to the, uh, the current studies. They have, and, and you know, we're obviously we're continuing uh, further trials and we're always you know, interested in safety and efficacy, and that's what we hope to find out. So tell us a little bit about the pathophysiology of MACTEL2 and how CNTF affects that pathophysiology in a favorable way. So, uh, you know, MACTEL primarily affects photoreceptors, but also Mueller cells, RPE cells, and blood vessels. The mechanism of action of CNTF in the MACTEL retina is activation of metabolically stressed glial cells to upregulate cell survival pathways and release neurotrophic factors. In the mature retina, Mueller glia are a major source of neurotrophic factors, including CNTF, which supports photoreceptors. So when Mueller glia become metabolically distressed and damaged, it's believed that this injury contributes to photoreceptor cell death. 
More specifically, it's been demonstrated that Mueller glia express CNTF receptors. And upon binding CNTF, Mueller glia begin to then upregulate the JAK-STAT cell survival pathways. And it's also been shown that inhibition of the CNTF receptor on Mueller glia blocks STAT activation and abolishes neuroprotection. So it's believed that maintenance of Mueller glia by exogenous CNTF may prevent or slow the subsequent collapse of photoreceptors. And this proposed mechanism is further supported by evidence showing that CNTF activated glia are protected against strong metabolic stress. So CNTF's mechanism of action provides a pretty strong basis for evaluation of intravitreal CNTF therapy for the treatment of MACTEL. We feel pretty good about that. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you tell us about the significance of the ellipsoid zone, formerly known as the ISOS junction, in uh, monitoring treatment effects? Sure. You know, OCT... (laughs) Thanks to you and your colleagues, OCT, uh, you know, has opened up, you know, just a, a world of information. It used to be that we, you know, had to use visual acuity, but we know that with diseases, whether it's retinitis pigmentosa or MACTEL, where there's very, very slow progression, you really need something else besides best corrected visual acuity. Um, although, you know, progression of MACTEL can result in a variety of changes, you know, in OCT, such as retinal cavitation. We know that the most visually significant change over the long run is ellipsoid zone disruption because we know that it reflects photoreceptor damage. And with continued photoreceptor damage, there will eventually be a reduction in central vision. And that's why the primary endpoint for the MACTEL trials is the rate of change in the ellipsoid zone area at 24 months. So uh, can you do that in a reliably quantitative way in measuring the ellipsoid zone disruption? You can, and we have, you know, the Duke Reading Center that that does that, and they're very good at it, and um, you know that's been validated. So, so we're pretty confident in their ability to measure that. So, can we talk a little bit about the phase two trial, which is complete? What was the, how was the trial designed, and what were the findings? Sure. Well, that was a prospective, randomized, multicenter trial in ninety-nine eyes. There were eleven sites. Uh, The primary endpoint was focused, again, on measuring progression of photoreceptor damage over time. So the primary endpoint was the change in OCT ellipsoid zone disruption at 24 months. And the results of that study were encouraging, with implanted eyes demonstrating 31% less progression of ellipsoid zone disruption compared to the sham-treated eyes. And that was statistically significant. So those results led to the initiation of the current pair of similarly designed phase three studies. So you did some microperimetry in, in the phase two trial as well uh, to, to see if there was a, vis, uh, a visual function correlate. Uh, can you talk to us about those? Right. So the microperimetry was uh, paired to the area of ellipsoid zone changes, and, and that corresponded well to that. Yeah. What about uh, Snell and visual acuity? Is that something that eventually you're going to get around to looking at? Well, we look at that, but we know that the Snell and in MACTEL, the change in visual acuity doesn't, just like in, um, uh, in retinitis pigmentosa, it doesn't show the full dysfunctional uh, problem. And it also is very slowly progressive. So it's very difficult to design a trial that's going to be able to capture that. We know that, that the anatomy precedes the, visual, the severity of visual progression. 
right? And so, and that's why, you know, um, uh, the retinitis pigmentosa trials are designed, for example, with mobility testing. And uh, the FDA seems to have looked favorably up, upon using the ellipsoid zone in photoreceptor loss progression sort of as a surrogate for what's going to happen down the road. Because otherwise, it's diff difficult. You'd have to design a much longer trial. And that's challenging to do, a, let's say, a five-year trial over a 24-month trial. Is this the first clinical trial that uses an OCT finding as its primary endpoint? Uh, well, it I don't know be. that for certain, but it could be. But I, I don't know it that for be. certain, but it, it could, yeah. could very well be. Yeah. In the geographic atrophy trials, they're really looking at areas plotted by autofluorescence. But right, me, but it's a, it's, a, it's a similar premise as well, though, not using right. visual acuity. Yeah, very right. similar. So, so tell us about the phase three trial, which are now fully enrolled, correct? Correct. Uh, so fully enrolled, prospective, randomized, sham controlled trial, 212 patients at 47 sites. Um, it's designed you know, similarly to the phase two study, again, with the primary outcome of the rate of change in the ellipsoid zone disruption at 24 months. And we anticipate study completion in Q4 of 2020. And uh, we hope to submit a BLA filing shortly thereafter. So we're excited so meant, about that. I think you misspoke. You meant uh, uh, 2022. 2022. Yes, I did misspeak. If I said anything other yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? When 2022? Uh, which quarter? Q4. It's hard to pinpoint it uh, specifically where, um, but but we're we're hopeful that in Q4 we'll have a last patient last visit. So Neurotech has a unique relationship with the Lowy Family Group and the Lowy Medical Research Institute. It's, it's really unique in, in, in the world of corporate retina. Can you describe that relationship and how it works and why it's been beneficial? Sure, well, you know, they're a tremendous uh, family um, and they have, you know, in, in 2010, um, they decided they wanted to uh, focus uh, some of their resources and attention when trying to find a treatment for MACTEL. Um, and so they uh, were able to start the uh, Lowy Medical Research Institute, which is headed by Marty Friedlander. Um, before that, they pulled together the world's experts in medical retina, specific, specific, bah, specific, <laughs> specifically those with expertise uh, on MACTEL. And they pulled together a board of advisors from uh, around the world to help them research this and eventually start this institute and support the institute with research. Um, and uh, they're very laser focused on trying to find a therapy for this. They're very committed to it. Um, and so Neurotech has an interesting relationship you know, with the Lowy family group and with LMRI, the Lowy Medical Research Institute. And it's a wonderful re relationship, um, all with a common goal. And from Neurotech's perspe perspective, it's very nice because you don't have to spend a lot of time looking for additional outside funding because you have a group that's very, very dedicated to finding a therapy for this disease. Who uh, was the first uh, person to suggest that CNTF would be uh a good molecule for this disease? 
You know, I don't know uh, which of the advisors was the very first one because there were a group of people that were involved. So I'm not really mm-hmm. sure who mm-hmm. who that one person would have been. Give anybody credit. So um, CNTF has been out there for a while, okay, uh, and any other intraocular targets for it? Yeah, well, you know, we've uh, Neurotech has looked at uh, using CNTF for retinitis pigmentosa and for geographic atrophy well over a, a decade ago. Um, and those studies uh, did not succeed, but I'm not sure that that necessarily means that CNTF won't be beneficial because I think there are certain aspects to the study design, and there's also changes that can be potentially made to the cell line, for example, to increase production of CNTF. There's changes that can be made to the device uh, to improve uh, output of CNTF. And so, you know, the question is, was it a combination of one, the study design, because we've learned, you know, retinitis pigmentosa studies don't use vision as a primary endpoint anymore, but that's what was used over a decade ago because we didn't know any better. Um, And so I think that there's actually the potential still to use uh, NT501 for some of these disorders. I think we have to look at it a little bit more detail down the road, but right now we're certainly kind of laser focused on getting uh, MACTEL across the finish line first. And final question, what about um, using encapsulated cell technology to produce other molecules of interest to the uh, retina community? Yeah, well, I think that's what's so interesting about this. You know, you can, this device can produce just a variety of proteins. As I said, you know, fusion proteins, uh, antibodies, growth factors, small peptides. So, um, and we can, you know, change how much uh, protein is produced potentially. So it really, it's open to just, you know, what products are out there. And I think that there's a variety of potential strategic partnerships that could come out of this. Uh, for delivering proteins to the intraocular space. Well, John, this has been a a great discussion, a great chat, and uh, everybody in the retina community is is cheering you on. And uh, we hope that the phase three clinical trial will be positive because it will offer a treatment to patients who've had really no option whatsoever. So John, thank you for your time on retina synthesis. Well, Carmen, thanks so much for having me here. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thanks.